You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian Geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, here from New York City. And this is Prashant Parmaswaran from Washington, D.C. So, Ankit, uh, we're back to talking about North Korea. We had uh, a firing of something that we're not exactly sure what it is, but it's not quite a missile, something that's been characterized as some sort of short-range projectile from North Korea. And this is coming amidst uh, several other uh, issues that we're dealing with. The Trump administration is dealing with crises in, in Venezuela, as well as now in Iran. Uh, we, we have the North Korea special representative who's uh, you know visiting several Asian capitals to talk about diplomacy. Um, and we also have now the clock ticking towards uh, the U.S. Uh, election and, and Trump's re-election coming up as well. Uh, so I guess good place to start would be, you know, what exactly happened from uh, from the perspective of what North Korea did, and how significant is this in terms of how we think about not just the action itself, but what we've been seeing with respect to the Hanoi summit, which we've talked about before, um, and this whole pursuit of U.S. North Korea talks and diplomacy more generally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you know, the obvious place to start, I think, is that you know things are getting bad, and we've known that for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. They have been bad for several weeks since the end of the U.S.-North Korea-Hanoi summit. Um, so the first place to begin is that I wasn't necessarily surprised when the North Koreans moved ahead with this launch because Kim Jong-un being Kim Jong-un tells us usually what he's going to do, and then he does it. Uh, it's just that most people don't realize because it's done through North Korean state media, and those statements aren't often taken as seriously as they should be. But in mid-April, uh, Kim Jong-un did a major address to the Supreme People's Assembly, North Korea's sort of rubber stamp parliament, in which he talked about the overall state of relations between the United States and North Korea and the diplomacy that had happened. And he condemned uh, the U.S.-South Korea military exercises, as North Korea has done in previous years. The U.S. and South Korea didn't actually cancel exercises altogether. What they did was they effectively rebranded the old Key Resolve and Full Eagle major exercises and recalibrated them under a new name called uh, Dongmeng, which means alliance in uh, Korean. But he criticized those, and he criticized the recent U.S. uh, missile defense test in March that simulated the intercept of an ICBM. And he said, quote, you know, wind, uh, the wind will bring waves. This was kind of his poetic way of suggesting that he wasn't happy with what was going on. And And he said that North Korea would move ahead with corresponding acts. So we were expecting something like this. And of course, in April... There was a quote-unquote tactical weapon test that North Korea undertook. We didn't get any images of the actual weapon back then, and that happened also in November 2018. Uh, And that was also a bad time for diplomacy in general. That was right after uh, Kim Jong-chol, the main North Korean negotiator, had canceled his trip to Washington. So that's the context for this launch taking place. As Mm -hmm. far as what they actually did, uh, so yeah, there was a little bit of confusion, as you noted. Uh, So the first reports came from the South Korean Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, South Korea uses kind of ground-based radars to look for any kind of ballistic missile launches out of North Korea. So they usually tend to get a pretty early alert out there, and that results in all the headlines that we see around the world and the emergency tweets and everything that North Korea launches a missile. So they initially said that North Korea had launched a short-range missile. And then that changed to short-range projectile, and that confused a lot of people. I was talking to a lot of reporters, kind of trying to explain the difference between a projectile and a missile. Of course, missiles are projectiles, but not all projectiles are missiles. 
And it turned out that North Korea had actually done a major kind of conventional exercise involving rocket artillery, including 240 millimeter caliber uh, rocket artillery units, and then the larger guided rocket artillery system that they have, which is a 300 millimeter caliber um, rocket system. But on top of that, the most interesting thing that they did was they introduced a new missile. Um, and that was, you know, undoubtedly a missile. There's no way you can get away with really just calling that a projectile. This is a solid fueled system that looks almost exactly like Russia's uh, Iskander M um, ballistic missile. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk a bit maybe later about why, you know, mm -hmm. that, that comparison we should be careful about. But yeah, they launched that missile and they released pictures this time. They showed Kim Jong-un guiding it. Uh, Kim Jong-un emphasized the promptness of the exercise. Uh, clearly, uh, they avoided being too hostile towards South Korea in the language that was used in that state media release. And I think some important context also to remember is that the two Koreas have a standing comprehensive military agreement that they agreed to in September 2018. So the Blue House is now concerned about uh, the Blue House being the South Korean presidential office is concerned that North Korea has now violated that agreement by engaging in what Article 1 of that agreement between the two Koreas calls hostile acts. So exercises like this, I think, fall into that. And of course, if you ask the North Koreans, they would say that South Korea, by engaging in the kind of military exercises it has with the United States, has also violated the agreement. So not only are things bad between the U.S. and South Korea, but also between North Korea and South Korea. So the inter-Korean relationship is starting to sadly uh, decline for the worse uh, just a little over one year after the historic uh, Panmunjom summit between Moon Jae-in and Kim Jong-un last April. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about the fact that this is this is you know, unsurprising, I guess, but but still quite significant in terms of it being, you know, the, the first firing of a missile in, in over, I think, five, yeah. 500 days, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that, you know, this is something which I think Trump has staked a lot of his credibility on, uh, the fact that he has a very good relationship with Kim Jong-un and that, you know, this the summit process is ongoing. But I guess one of the useful things to discuss would be, I mean, what are the various drivers uh, that, that might have led Kim Jong-un to to do this at this particular time. We've talked about the fact that part of this has to do with general unhappiness with how the Hanoi summit went, which which he made quite clear. Um, but it's also the fact that, you know, we've dis discussed before on previous podcasts too, right, that this is a calibration of various tracks, if you view it simplistically. You know, so the U.S.-South Korea track, South Korea-North Korea track. Um, and so, you know, was this also a message that perhaps was sent to South Korea in terms of North Korea trying to get, you know, a few more concessions? We, we've now got reports about um, North Korea wanting more uh, food aid potentially and the door being opened there by the United States uh, for South Korea to do that. So is there a little bit of a recalibration process going on, you know, post Hanoi summit where uh, various sides are looking to see, okay, how do we actually make this process work? Because I don't think anyone really wants to see this blow up. But at the same time, I, I think there is a little bit of blowing off of steam from the US, from South Korea and from North Korea, right? Yeah, I mean, so... Yes, we are seeing a return effectively to the old ways. We've also heard from the Pentagon's um, office in charge of uh, recuperating the remains of U.S. soldiers. Uh, there has been no contact from the North Koreans on that issue, mm -hmm. which Kim Jong Un again talked about in April. Uh, he described as at, you know he described that as one of the major kind of fulfillments of the Singapore summit declaration last year. Um, but absolutely, I mean, this is about the United States. It's about South Korea. But also, you know, one audience that doesn't come up uh, is sort of internally within North Korea. Mm. Um, you know, North Korea is often portrayed as a place without politics, but like any country, there are politics within North Korea, even as Kim Jong-un is a monolithic absolute leader. Um, but what was interesting was that in March, the vice foreign minister uh, held a foreign, um, held a 
press conference with members of uh, various embassies in Pyongyang. And there she talked about how Kim Jong-un had really taken a risk by going to Hanoi. He had sort of defied, she said, petitions from members of North Korea's munitions industry by going there. Mm-hmm. And um, in the process, uh, you know, Kim was embarrassed. And now, on his, you know, upon his return, not only has Kim been talking about national defense and saying how important it is to realize peace by having a strong um, indigenous defense capability, but we've also seen several figures um, that are well-known to be affiliated with North Korea's missile testing campaigns, including, you know, Jiang Chang-ha, who's a missile scientist with the munitions industry department of the Workers' Party. Um, he he made his first appearance since December 2017 in April. And then, of course, we start seeing missile tests. And, you know, there's a historical parallel that um, a couple observers, including a Jeffrey Lewis, have pointed out, which is that in 2006, which was the year when North Korea's 1999 uh, moratorium on missile testing came down, the way the North Koreans began that that year was they launched a Toksa, which is also a short-range ballistic missile. In fact, it's the derivative of the Russian Toshka, which was the predecessor to the Iskander, which is what this new North Korean missile resembles. And then later that year, on the 4th of July, they launched multiple Scuds and a Taepodong uh, satellite launch vehicle to signal that the moratorium was over. Of course, in that case, things were a little different in that in 2005, the foreign ministry had issued a memorandum formally noting that the moratorium was over. So this may be, again, an attempt to calibrate uh, what is the presumed, you know, presumptive end of diplomacy. I mean, I've kind of been a pessimist throughout this process. I just haven't seen the fundamentals uh, in North Korea or in the United States for a productive deal between the two sides. The North Koreans say it must be step by step. The U.S. says all for no- nothing, and those positions remain sort of locked in. I should add, though, that you know we shouldn't overinterpret this event either, because Kim Jong Un has been clear that the door is effectively open until the end of the year. He has you know set in place the clock ticking, saying that the United States has until the end of 2019 to change its position. Um, and, you know, I think it's highly doubtful that there will be any change in the U.S. position, but that's what he said. Mm-hmm. And and so I guess with with the current dynamics that are going on, one of the questions that comes up is, I mean, what really does this mean for what lies ahead, right? I mean, we've discussed several variables here. Um, you know, the, the U.S. is, I guess, nearing a, an election in, in November uh, next year, and Trump has staked a lot of his personal credibility on this. Uh, you have the North Korea clock um, that expires to the the end of this year. Um, from Moon's perspective, from a South Korean perspective, there there is a lot riding on this, right? I mean, he's staked a lot of his personal credibility yeah. on what's going on, and I think, you know, I guess a more charitable inter- interpretation might be that for now, at least, the North Koreans are are kind of staying uh, to more sort of calibrated actions, and they don't want to. Uh, do bolder things that could disrupt the process entirely. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, it, it does seem like uh, this is based on their past track record. Um, and if things don't improve, that that we're in from uh, more for more serious uh, consequences down the line and and a little bit more of a worrying scenario, right? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, you raise an interesting point about Trump's credibility and the issue of missile launches. I mean, that's something that Trump has repeatedly talked about, that the fact that since he decided to engage the North Koreans in diplomacy, that there have been no missile launches, right? The last missile launch before this one happened in, in November 2017 with the Hwasong-15 Intercontinental Range Ballistic Missile. And then in a matter of a few months, by March 2018, we had confirmation that a summit meeting between Trump and Kim Jong-un would happen and no missile launches happened. So you know, mm-hmm. Trump really took credit for that. And even after the Hanoi summit failed, 
he emphasized the fact that, look, like, you know, there's no nuclear tests, no missile tests. Um, and in April last year, Kim Jong-un announced his own moratorium, right? It wasn't a written moratorium. It was a verbal unilateral assurance that North Korea would not launch any intercontinental range ballistic missiles. So that does not include missiles of this range. It doesn't even include intermediate range missiles of the kind that North Korea was launching over Japan in 2017. And, you know, what makes matters worse is the way in which the U.S. actually has reacted so far to this latest launch. Um, I mean, Mike Pompeo told Chris Wallace of Fox News that, uh, you know, this doesn't violate Kim Jong-un's moratorium. So you have the U.S. Secretary of State effectively legitimizing that moratorium that the U.S. really had no say in as kind of the basis for action. And, of course, we should recall that, you know, United Nations Security Council Resolution 1718 from 2006 actually bars North Korea from any ballistic missile testing. So this resolution, um, this missile test is a violation of that resolution, but that's something that the Secretary of State either was unaware of or just didn't feel necessary to point out. And that sort of creates interesting alliance dilemmas, too, because, of course, if you're in Seoul or if you're, or if you're in Tokyo, you don't want the U.S. to give the North Koreans a green card to launch any missiles as long as they don't launch ICBMs, right? So... Uh, Kim Jong-un, I think, is still creating some alliance trouble now with these launches, especially if they do ramp up and the U.S. continues to just brush them off. And, you know, I understand why the U.S. is incentivized to brush them off because they don't really have a policy right now, right, apart from mm -hmm. uh, maintaining pressure on Pyongyang. So as long as Trump doesn't have to be embarrassed by the fact that, you know, Kim Jong-un betrayed him or anything, and he hasn't betrayed him because there was no agreement, um, you know, as long as they can keep up that narrative, I think they'll try to keep a lid on this situation. So we'll see if the North Koreans choose to ramp things up, right? It would certainly be in, in line with historical patterns. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and I guess one uh, final aspect that would be, you know, sort of interesting to discuss in this respect would be, I mean, from a North Korean perspective, how do things look for, you know, the rest of 2019 on onto 2020, right? I mean, you, you do see a, a case for perhaps continued calibration in terms of their actions and see maybe what the United States can provide, what South Korea can provide, is there a kind of an easing of what their positions are? Um, but if they ramp things up you uh, and it approaches a point to which Trump feels like his credibility is being, being undermined, I, I think Kim Jong-un is probably cognizant of the fact that this is a president who will probably react and not necessarily with a lot of control and, and calibration. And you have, I guess, individuals like John Bolton um, who have already been talking about undermining the diplomatic track mm -hmm. um, and so you do have that scenario too right um, you know yeah. the u.s response hardening as well um, and i <laughs> and i guess it's difficult to predict but it's it's something that we should kind of worry about a little bit right yeah it is i mean you know you asked about what's happening inside north korea i mean you mentioned uh, food scarcity the u.n has found the world food program has said that 40 percent of north koreans are you know, nutritionally stressed and south korea is going to move ahead and provide humanitarian assistance and the u.s has said that they're not going to block that but apart from that, I mean, um, one of the senses that I got from reading Kim Jong-un's remarks in April was that he was effectively telling um, the party to work harder because sanctions relief does not appear to be forthcoming, right? So the North Koreans, I think, are settling in for a general deterioration. I mean, honestly, on one level, the fact that they've resumed launches and listening to uh, not only Kim's remarks, but also remarks from senior officials from North Korea throughout March and April and reading state media, it does seem like the North Koreans are not counting on a third summit anytime soon, or 
a general change in the relationship with the United States. So that's obviously a bad sign because I think it portends uh, further launches to come and a possible return in the worst case to the kind of fire and fury talk we saw from Trump uh, in 2017. That's where the real danger lies, is that if Trump feels that he's been effectively screwed over by Kim Jong-un, and now has to uh, respond. And that's actually what a lot of us were warning about when this diplomacy mm-hmm. got underway, that without the fundamentals first existing for any kind of productive diplomacy, it's effectively a, a mirage. And um, that's, I think, still a concern that lingers large. Uh, do you want to briefly talk about this missile, by the way? And- yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you were saying, um, you know, you should be cautious about a direct comparison with the Russian Iskander missile, right? Which is kind of an analogy that some folks have talked about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've I, I mentioned the analogy too. In fact, yeah. um, this isn't just a case of a missile looking like another missile. This is a case of the North Koreans going out of their way with coloration, with the contour, with even the launch truck. I mean, they actually, so this missile first made its appearance at the February parade last year. And since that parade, they've actually changed the vehicle that carries it to even look more like the Russian Iskander launcher. And it's just, it's just you know, they've gone out of their way to really evoke the Iskander. And look, I mean, we know about proliferation that's occurred in the past from uh, the Soviet Union to North Korea with uh, various missile technologies and engines in particular. Um, but that's not to suggest that, you know, uh, there has been any kind of proliferation from Russia to North Korea concerning the Iskander specifically. There are other ways that the North Koreans could have come up with this missile. In fact, you know, what makes the Iskander the Iskander is not what it looks like or not the shape that the missile takes, really. It's what happens right of launch after you launch the missile. It's uh, it's an incredibly precise, low-flying, maneuverable missile, and the North Koreans haven't really demonstrated that their missile meets any of those specifications, right? So they've made it look like an Iskander, but the performance doesn't likely get there. It could simply be a modernization of the Toxa, uh, the older missile, which is also known as the KN-02. So I think, uh, you know, maybe we'll see it tested again and maybe the North Koreans will show us this missile striking a target or demonstrating some level of precision. That would be, I think, a significant development. Uh, But as far as we know right now, this is just another short-range solid fuel missile that's probably going to be the successor to the Tuxa in North Korea's arsenal. Yeah, and we should also note, I guess, that this is coming after, you know, Kim Jong-un is continuing his, you know, quest for, you know, international diplomacy and meeting with leaders, right? So this is after he met with Vladimir Putin and and Putin then, you know, sort of tried to channel what Kim Jong-un was saying and, and, and spoke about the prospects for peace. And it sort of got folks excited about, oh, could we see, you know, some uh, sort of rejuvenation of a six-party process and the Russians trying to insert themselves in. So the Russian angle really has been factoring in in multiple ways in, in the media and in, in the past few months, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I think we're starting to see the turn um, more seriously now than after than we did after Hanoi. Uh, but yeah, yeah we'll, have to, we'll have to see where things go. I'm sure we'll be back talking about the Korean Peninsula sooner rather yeah. than later on this podcast. Um, Definitely. But yeah, Prashant, uh, thanks a lot for joining me. Good to be with you. Great. And uh, for our listeners, if you uh, liked our discussion and you want to keep up with future episodes, make sure you subscribe. You can do that on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or any other number of podcast providers. And if you've been a subscriber for a while, but you haven't yet left us a review on any one of those platforms, uh, please do so. We'd really appreciate that. And as always, if you have suggestions for future episodes, uh, do feel free to reach out. Um, I've heard from a few listeners in the past week and have already taken notes for future episodes. Um, So uh, definitely... Do do keep in touch and uh, we'll be back next week with more. Thanks a lot for listening.